The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Our first guest up today, Carla Sands, served as U.S. Ambassador to the Kingdom of Denmark, which includes Greenland and the Faroe Islands from 2017 to 2021. Currently the Vice Chair at the Center for Energy and Environment and America First Policy Institute. Ambassador, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the program. Thanks. It's great to be with you guys. Well, Ambassador, I was listening to an interview that you had recently that said you always wanted to be an ambassador. You've always been involved in politics, um, very engaged. You always wanted to be one. Then one day you get a call from the Trump administration and said, we're going to appoint you here. What Did it meet your expectations, I guess, is my question. Wow. So it was a dream as a high school girl to be an ambassador, but I didn't know about the Foreign Service. Matter, matter, of, fact, matter of fact, Ambassador, I wonder how many girls in junior high have their dream of being an ambassador. <laughs> it's, br- it's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> I love it, too. All right, continue. Sorry, that's amazing. No, no, not at all. So, um, so I just harbored that dream in my heart and went off and became a businesswoman. And so um, when I got the call, I mean, I was thrilled because we know, like, when you can fulfill a dream, it's a very, very good thing. So um, I went off and uh, served, and it it did exceed my expectations. It was extraordinary. What an honor to work for all the people of the United States. And the power of our federal government is so immense that, um, that, you know, the the respect that you receive has nothing to do with you as a person. The the other country's leaders respect our country so much. Ambassador, I I have to jump in. I I know we're going to get to talking about the letter that you helped organize uh, uh, to Congress about Israel. But from the outside, and and maybe this isn't entirely fair, but it seems like there are, in, in essence, two types of ambassadors, those that go in a more ceremonial role and those that roll up their sleeves and dig in. And the ones that, like you did, roll up their sleeves and dig in can get really extraordinary things done. And I, I think a lot of times under the radar, people don't even realize that. It, it's true. And w- political ambassadors, some of them do go uh, to, it seems like, have have a vacation. <laughs> and some go to really work hard. Um, but, but the um, career foreign service officers, because some people make a career out of being an American diplomat, you just take the test, the Foreign Service test, and then you enter the Foreign Service. And the, the, the capstone for their careers would be to become an ambassador. So those people also uh, get a lot done, but they don't have most of them don't have that private sector experience that, for instance, the Trump ambassadors brought that where we know how to get things done. And they're also fearful of doing the wrong thing, because then it's very easy right. to derail a, a, a fellow Foreign Service officer's career. Oh, interesting. Interesting. That makes, yeah, they that live in makes fear. a lot of sense. What surprised you about mm-hmm. the what surprised you about the job? Um, what surprised me was how much some European countries dislike the United States and do not wish us well. Who are they? How unfair... Most of our European allies, actually, our trade isn't fair. They do things. They're tariff barriers, non-tariff barriers. They they do they do a lot of unfair things to our trade, uh, to suppress our trade. Where we don't do that to others in the same way. We we're we're pretty much a fair-minded country. We've cut a lot of bad trade deals. I think President Trump tried to write those bad deals and did have a lot of success. He got that phase one China deal. He got the NAFTA became USMCA. So he was looking after the American working people and American companies and saying, you got to treat us fairly. That was a big surprise to me. And that's a, that was a big shift in his administration because historically there really hadn't been much pushback against any of those barriers or trade deals. Yeah, no, no. Uh, Let's get to the nitty-gritty. So on October 7th, a major terrorist attack happened upon Israel. 
A group of ambassadors, including you, sent a letter to Congress urging support for our closest ally in the Middle East, which is Israel. My question to Mm -hmm. you, uh, there's two questions here. Mm -hmm. One, did you have anybody say no to you when you tried to round up this letter? And two, we have two main hot points in the world right now, Israel, Ukraine. Of course, there's a bunch of other things that are very long-term, but immediate focus. What is the role for an ambassador, a U.S. ambassador, in those crises? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. So first of all, um, the ambassadors really did want to support this uh, letter on behalf of, so on behalf of all of us urging, bipartisan, urging Congress and the Senate to support Israel and to make sure that that support stuck. And because we all saw that ISIS kind of behavior in Israel, my worry is we're going to get that in the U.S. on our soil because the Biden administration has a wide open border and they're not catching all of the terrorists. They already caught less than 300, like in the last recent time, but we only catch 60 percent. So some are getting through and a lot of Chinese aged and you know, foreign countries we're not friends with aged military men are getting through to tens of thousands. But the the role of an ambassador, um, so during a conflict like this, um, it really depends where they're serving. Are they serving in a NATO ally country? Are they serving in an adversarial country, a Muslim majority country, right? So you got to know, like, the audience and, and how you can get support. And then if you look at how all these different countries around the world are voting uh, at the U.N., for instance, not to censure Russia, you know, after the Ukraine invasion. If you see how the Chinese Communist Party is having an outsized influence on a lot of these countries in the world. And then you see how if we all think about the United States Congress and the president, we have been in a bipartisan way supporting Israel the state of Israel and the Israeli people, it's been very strong. But now you see how the left and the Muslim uh, supporting elected officials and citizens have really, it looks like, abandoned Israel in a public way, and they're supporting the terrorist group Hamas. Right. Ambassador, do you think, this is adjacent, but one of the things that we've seen is that these these radicalized Islamic factions have done a really good job of infiltrating U.S. universities and education yeah. and really spreading yeah. their message there. Does Israel need to be more proactive in trying to counter that messaging at that level? Well, um, can they? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it's tough because there's so much anti-Semitism around the world. It's very strong. So it's a big challenge. But it's not just in academia. Iran is at the highest. Iran has people in the highest levels at the DOD, at our Pentagon, so and yes, also do. in the White House and at State Department. So they have influence over our government. And you can see that in some of the softer support of Israel, how we saw Obama, very big uh, Iran sympathizer. And we can see how, uh, for instance, the... The Students for Justice in, pa- in, in Palestine is on a lot of college campuses. That's a Muslim Brotherhood offshoot, right, funded by the Muslim Brotherhood, okay, like ISIS kind of people, all funded through Iran. So this is all the spawn of Iran. And um, I, I, I think we really are, are doing a disservice to the kids on our campuses to allow such an entity have such a big influence. Um, but also Muslim countries, when they're funding things at the universities, are having an influence in what our kids are learning, too. Well, it seems like all these university professors do is outraise money all the time, and they don't really care where it comes from. But, I, you know, like COVID, yeah. while, while COVID was a tragedy, what it did do is open a lot of middle-class parents' eyes, upper-middle-class parents' eyes, to how bad the public schools are. And you're yeah. seeing those changes yeah. in education. And the only— totally. The only spark of light in this tragedy in Israel right now is it's waking up a lot of donors to how bad these universities are and that they've been giving money and they're not going to do this any longer. So hopefully this has some long-term effects. Have you, being a Pennsylvania girl, are you surprised yeah. by Fetterman's absolute support for Israel? <laughs> I, been, I mean, I've been impressed. I mean, he's not taking, he is giving it back. I'm really impressed by it. <laughs> 
Well, before I pivot to Fetterman, I just wanted to say that China has given $400 billion to Iran in military training and military equipment. So China is behind a lot of what is happening. There's now become an alliance which is economic and military with China, Russia, Iran, and of course we know North Korea. But it seems like it's strengthening and becoming more bold. Um, John Fetterman, I mean, please, how it's embarrassing to Pennsylvania. It's embarrassing uh, (laughs) that he's representing us. He doesn't share my values. But, yeah, I'm glad that he's supporting Israel. That's the right thing to do. Everything else he's ever said and and fought for, I'm against. But in this one place, I will stand with him because, you you know, you find your friends where you find them. It, it takes a lot of courage on the left. Right well, now I, I think that. but I think here's the thing about him as well. And I agree with you 100 percent on your opinion on him. I think it's important if we want to start seeing some resolve and getting things done in D.C. again, that when our political opponents do something that's worthwhile, that we do say thank you. That, that, you, I agree. Know, you give credit because I don't think you can get anything done if, if we say everything they do is bad. Because, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what makes you ever going to build any goodwill to get things done? And so I think in the case of Fetterman, I agree with you. I, I wish he was in the Senate. I think he's going to vote yeah. the wrong way 98 percent of the time. But when they go and do something like this, I think you say kudos. Thank you. Yeah. Um, quickly, we're going we're gonna to take a break here in about two minutes. But I quickly want to ask you. How did you increase trade U.S. exports to Denmark by 45%? Who did you beat up to get this done? <laughs> really quickly, what, what I did is we made goals at the embassy, number one, security, number two, trade to, make a, to create American jobs. And so I and my team would go and talk to pension funds, to insurance companies, saying, please invest in America. Buy our, buy, buy our companies or invest in them, invest in our stock market, please buy our real estate. Um, and we would ask them to invest in the U.S. And then I would work to get them to be open to more trade to the, from the U.S. And you have to understand that EU trade really is done in Brussels. We right. went to Brussels, but there's other stuff we did as well. That is brilliant. And it, real quick, we have about 30 seconds left. What are our number one export? What are our top exports to Denmark? Well, they buy our pharmaceuticals. We buy theirs. They buy um, a lot of um, software, and they use our Zoom and Microsoft platform. So there's a lot of, um, you know, service exports as well. But they also buy wood pellets and burn them and call it green. (laughs) Uh, of, of course, of course. <laughs> Folks, we're going to be coming back with more from uh, Ambassador Carla Sands in just a moment, so please stay tuned. And if you're not already, make sure you're subscribed to download our podcast, BreakingBattlegrounds.vote. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. We're continuing on with Ambassador Carla Sands in just a moment. But first, folks, how's your portfolio doing? The market's been going up and down. Biden, the Bidenomic economy is just tearing people apart. That's why we uh, recommend, highly recommend, that you check out our friends at investyrefi.com. So go to their website, invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Learn how you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return on your money. You can compound it. You can take the money monthly as income. No attack on principal if you have to withdraw your money ahead of time. It's a fantastic opportunity. So, again, check them out, investyrefi.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. We're with Ambassador Carla Sands. Sands, um, She's from Pennsylvania. She's a former U.S. ambassador to the Kingdom of Denmark. You can find more about her and her writings at carlasands.com. She is also the vice chair for the Center for Energy and Environment for the American First Policy, which brings me to the question. I'm still laughing. 
They import in the kingdom of Denmark wood pellets and burn them and count them as clean energy. How yes. is the clean energy policies affecting Europe? I know when the war started in Ukraine with Russia's aggressive actions. Yes. You know, oil, the Nordic pipeline. I mean, everything. I mean, right? Germany, Poland, they're you know, buying coal to burn in their houses. New York Times basically yeah. said when the war started, Europe's right. going black that winter. Right. OK. So yeah. how is the green energy crusade of Europe affecting businesses and employees and their households and things of that nature? Yeah. Well, thousands of people died in London last year because of the high price of heating. Thousands. You don't hear that from anywhere. No. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, Germany and Denmark pay the highest energy costs in all of Europe. And um, they really did believe in Germany that they were going to have everything was going to be windmills and solar panels and kumbaya. But the dirty secret was they were doing that deal with Nord Stream 2, the Russian gas pipeline, as their base load power. But they never talk about that. They were turning their back on clean nuclear. They wouldn't turn their nuclear plants on. So, uh, you know, there's, there is a kind of climate delusion, a climate religion that a lot of Europeans have bought into. And you can hear their doxology as they speak. <laughs> um, but but it's, it's crazy. There, it doesn't work. You need baseload power. Uh, maybe tiny countries can make that work, but not countries that make big things. You need a lot of power to do manufacturing like we do in the U.S. And so on a cold day in my state of Pennsylvania, a third of the power comes from gas, a third from nuclear, and a third from coal with maybe 2%, 2.5% from renewables. And th- and that's pretty much what it's going to be. I think we'll increase the natural gas over the years. The renewables haven't picked up a whole lot, even with the billions and hundreds of billions and trillions that we're dumping into it as taxpayers. Well, I just looked up your comment about how many people died in England. This is from The Economist in May 10th, 2023. Expensive energy may have killed more Europeans than COVID-19. They're estimating... <laughs> High energy costs, I'm sorry for laughing, high rising energy prices cost 68,000 deaths in Europe. Yeah. That is incredible. I mean, no one's talking about it. Kudos to, the, no. kudos to the economists for printing it. I haven't heard anybody else talk about it. I, I had not heard I'm that I'm actually stunned all. by this. Yes, it's real. It's killing people. Cold kills a lot more people than heat does. And uh, people thrive when it's a little warmer. Yeah, it, so, it, it cracks us up here in Arizona because they keep telling us if the temperature goes up one degree, we're all going to die. And I'm soon, like, soon, yeah. soon. Yeah, uh, right. we, we've all been through summer before. What's one degree? Yeah, well, Joe Biden says it's more frightening than nuclear war if it goes up. <laughs> well, more well than exactly. A point and a half. I remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is very green, was trying to put solar panels in Death Valley, and all the environmentalists started complaining and suing. That, you know, you can't do this, you're going to kill X, Y, or Z, right? Some rodent, some yeah. insect. And I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, basically said, if you're not going to put these in Death Valley, where in the hell are you going to put them? But it does kill birds and it kills animals. Yeah. Just like the windmills kill a lot of eagles right. and other protected birds and bats, too. Right. Yeah. Well, and whales also, so. Yeah, it's, inc- yes. it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk here. Um, so what do you think America's energy policy needs to be going forward? Well, I would like to see a policy where every kind of energy is treated on a level playing field. So, and I trust American innovation to figure out how we're going to do it, but we're never going to run out of our oil and gas. We have enough gas to run the whole world for hundreds of years. And with innovation, we're going to figure out incredible ways to power our lives going forward. If you think about how fast the world's changed, I can remember a time before cell phones. So it, 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 American innovation is extraordinary. It, but if, it, Ambassador, for instance, if we were putting uh, a, a significant portion of this money that they're spending on this green fantasy, if we were putting that mm-hmm. money into the development of advanced uh, nuclear and reactor technologies, how much mm-hmm. further ahead would we be on that road right now to developing things well, that are truly sustainable? Well, we're pretty far ahead in nuclear. We do have those small modular reactors, and right. they are successful. And I'd love to see them roll out more. I actually don't like a lot of taxpayer money in the private sector, a little bit to incubate and get it going. But then I like to see 
the free market work because consumers are the best judges of what they want. And when you do top-down planning, Chinese Communist Party style, you don't get to a good outcome. And that's what the Biden administration is trying to do, for instance, with our combustion engine cars. They're trying to say, you will drive an EV by 2030, I think it's 2035, no, it's nine years, so 2032, and you will, um, and it will be 60 or 70% of you will drive an EV. So they're shoveling hundreds of billions of dollars at the car companies right now, so they retool and make EVs. But the fact is, people don't want them, and it enriches China. They make most of the parts. Well, it also, you have to have the car 15 years to see an environmental benefit from it. Well, and we don't have you the know, grid. Most people don't know that. That's a terrific well, fact. So George Will had a great op-ed today. I suggest everybody post it. But he makes a point here. In 1914, the Bureau of Mines said the U.S. oil reserves would be exhausted by 1924. In 1939, <laughs> the Interior Department said world oil supply done in 13 years. He goes on and on and on. In 1970, it was estimated there were 612 barrels of oil, proven reserves. In 2006, it was $767 billion. Now it's $1. trillion. His whole article is, climate warriors are idiots. I mean, it's just like, they don't know what they're talking about. And the problem is, Sam has this theory that this is all about just government power and ruling. It has nothing really to do with the environment. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And Harold Hamm, who's one of the original yes. uh, founders of the horizontal drilling to get at that oil, uh, from one clean little pad of drilling, uh, wrote a book recently called Game Changer. I highly recommend it to your audience if they like to read about great our book. American story. Yeah, great book. Absolutely. We have just about one minute left. Ambassador, how do people follow you in your work, Because especially at the America First Policy Institute? You guys are doing amazing work, and we'd like to get more people tuned in to, to help support those missions. Thank you so much. So you can go to American... Uh, AmericaFirstPolicy.com, and there, we have 22 centers, and we're working to make policies that benefit every American. I also am on Twitter at Carla H. Sands. I'm on Instagram and Facebook a little bit, and I have a website, CarlaSands.com. And I'm, I'd be uh, delighted to, um, you know, they can read what I'm posting. A lot of it is pro-American energy to bring us back to American energy independence. Well, come back and join us anytime. We loved having you, Ambassador. Talk to you guys. Bye-bye. This is Breaking Battlegrounds, breakingbattlegrounds.vote. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Up next, we have a friend of the program returning guest, Austin Knudsen. He is the 25th Attorney General of Montana. We had a great conversation with him. It was about a year ago, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. And actually, it's it's Knudsen. Knudsen. I am Knudsen. so sorry. And he, I am and, he was, and he was so excited about the interview, he flew down to be here with us. <laughs> See? I happen to be in town. This worked out really, really well. well. I'm so you glad know, you're here. Yeah. It's great golf season. For any guests who want to come into town and knock a ball around, how many the time. How many whipping, wimpy Montanans come down here for the winter? I mean, I'm sure you look at them very poorly, but how many wimpy Montanans? Well, you're there? wrong. So my, my, my parents are actually among that group. They're, they're, <laughs> look, it gets cold. Oh, it does. This time I, of year in Montana. I bet one of my best friends is, in, is in, up there. and it's he, I, yeah. I, I lived in Montana through exactly one winter, and I'm from upstate New York. <laughs> yeah. And one winter of that, and I was like, okay, no. There's a ton of people from Montana that come down here, and actually, believe it or not, my little my little rural hometown. I bet half the town spends the winter in Wickenburg. Oh, and, do they really? And, well, they, and they rope. Yeah, they're they're all rodeo people, oh, and they all rope. And smart. Wickenburg is a huge roping community. Yeah, they, they so, have a fantastic yeah. facility. And out you there. have a lot of Arizonans go up there for the summer. I don't know about that. I think the no, golf you know, thing's you, probably you, still better here, but like know. it's hot though. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, thank you for coming in. Um, you've announced a re-election. I have, yeah. Was that a tough decision? No, you know, it, it wasn't. I, uh, I I had people asking me to do some other stuff. Um, there was, you know, people wanting me to run for the Congress and run right. against John Tester, and w- I I like what I'm doing. I mean, I I I I've put together a really really good team. We're doing really fun, aggressive things with the Attorney General's office. We're we're taking Montana in, in directions that it's never gone. Um, I, I think it just makes a ton of sense to stay stay the course and keep doing what I'm doing. So that's that's why it was this was a no brainer. Well, let's talk about one case you've signed on. It's um, states are supporting a mom suing a school 
in Chico, California, that hit her daughter's gender transition. And this seems to be popping up here and there everywhere more frequently than we would ever thought 10 years ago, right? It's, are you amazed by the rapid process of this now? This just this trajectory, just like they're hiding what these kids are doing from parents? It seems like we say that about everything. I mean, we just can't believe how fast this stuff is moving. We, we can't believe how fast, you know, just, just in three years of Joe Biden, how, how much the world has changed. It really but, but is yeah. different. I mean, it's, it's sort of like I had a friend who was an attorney when the gay marriage issue was coming. And he said, I'm not concerned about gay marriage, but I don't think the people understand the floodgates on other issues is going to come about. That's my concern about it. I really don't care if Bob marries Mark, but it's the other issues. And then I think COVID broke the norms. When they were able to get so outside of the norms of of governmental operations, suddenly it seems from the left like anything is possible. I I think that's exactly right. I mean, there was a huge power grab with COVID. And I mean, if, if, if that's constitutional, I mean, what isn't constitutional, right? And that's that's why you saw so many AGs like me push back on that. But yeah, the case you're talking about, I, I had to look up the, the, the lady's name. Uh, it's it's Regino versus the Chico Unified School District. And so, yeah, what you had in this case was you had a girl who was going through a rough time at home. Dad died. Dad, dad I, I think that's right. I think dad died or, or, or left the home in a divorce and mom got cancer. And she was she was going through a really really tough time, and unbeknownst to her to her mother, the school district started transitioning her and, and using male pronouns and and helping this girl tradition transition, which she now has has backed away from and has detransitioned and said no I, I I was I was mixed up I was emotional I was going through a very difficult time, and and but but look what the school district did to her and and we've seen this in a couple other jurisdictions as well. Um, and then this, this people ask me, well, why does Montana care? I mean, this is, you have a fundamental right to raise your children. I mean, there's nothing more fundamental in our country than you as a parent are the one responsible for those kids. My, my, my kids can't get an aspirin at their school without my say so. Nor should they. Yeah. But we're going to live in a world where you can transition my children without me knowing. I mean, my God, what are, what what are we doing? that's that's what's amazing about it. They don't even understand the illogical nature of their argument. I'm going to hide the gender transition, but you can't get an aspirin. I don't want you to drink. I don't want you to do these things, but I'm a, I'm a hide your gender. I mean, a fairly lifelong decision. A lifelong decision and one that certainly should involve the parents and, you know, probably faith leaders, whatever that might be. But it's probably not the job for the school guidance counselor. Like ever. Like ever. So what? So what happens when you go? When you guys go and join. You have sixteen. Well, we have one minute left. We'll go over from that. But when we come back, I want to ask what is. So what does it mean when you have? I think it's sixteen or seventeen Republican attorney generals join in on this case. To our listeners, what does that mean for the residents of voters of Montana? What does that mean when you have all of these people and you're a leader in this group? Yeah. What does that mean long term on these issues? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it sends a message to, to the people of, of our respective states. But number two, I mean, this is us literally trying to help. I mean, this we, we, we file amicus briefs. This is front of the court briefs. We're we're not an actual party to the case, right. but this is where we come in and say, look, court, Ninth Circuit in this case, which, you know, we're, we right. sit in right here. This is important enough that we as state attorneys general believe that we should tell you our opinion on this and you should listen to it precedents are being set in california that will affect the people of montana florida arizona and every other state unfortunately we're all in the ninth circuit breaking battlegrounds back in just a moment At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck and Sam. We're going to be continuing on with Attorney General Austin Knudsen of Montana here in just a moment, folks. But first, you've been hearing us talk about Y-Refi for a while now. 
They've been getting a ton of calls from people listening to this program. We thank you for your support in an investment that actually helps people. Uh, first off, it's true. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There are absolutely no fees and no attack on principal if you ever need your money back. You'll get your monthly statement each month with no surprises. If you're not sure you trust this economy, this secure collateralized portfolio may be a good option for you. Go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. All right, continuing on, Attorney General Newsom, uh, Hawaii. Hawaii has been trending to the farthest left, but they're not alone right now. They recently did something in relation to the Second Amendment that I have a hard time imagining would stand in front of the Supreme Court, but it's part of a trend now. We've seen the same Mm. similar type thing uh, in our our nearby state of New Mexico, uh, where the governor there tried to essentially ban guns in public for an indefinite period. And got slapped down by her, even members of her own party yeah, there. Yeah. So tell us what's going on in Hawaii and what they've done. Because this story, I don't think, has really gone far and wide enough. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Second Amendment guy. I mean, just as a Montanan, shooting, collecting, hunting, competitive shooting, reloading, it's my hobby. So, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm really, really passionate about, about the Second Amendment. But... This one's really dangerous, and and unfortunately, we, this isn't just Hawaii. But what what Hawaii did is, it started with the Bruin decision, right? This this is the U.S. Supreme Court decision where it affirmed, yep, there is an individual right to carry a firearm, and not just in the home. You have the right to bear arms outside of the home. Right. Okay, and what what the Bruin decision also said is, well, okay, but there are some restrictions. This isn't wide open. You you there there are some historical precedents where we have restricted firearms carrying for instance and and the the supreme court in bruin said specifically polling places government buildings okay those those were the two examples that they could historically say all right airports and yeah well i mean even that's there's probably a historical question about but i i mean i think just from from a i think that one probably stands but what has happened with hawaii they created they crafted new legislation that said, well, yeah, polling places, government places, but also also sensitive places. Well, what is a sensitive place? And this is where this gets real nebulous. The Hawaii said, well, you know, parks, maybe some restaurants, maybe beaches. You know, beaches. Yeah, well, sorry, no, that's not in the Constitution, and that certainly does not comport with with the Bruin decision. I mean, the the, the Bruin court was very clear. There has to be some sort of historical precedent. A, 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 a historical analog for whatever restriction you're trying to place in the Second Amendment. Um, so, I mean, that, that's why we jumped in this one, because Hawaii, I think when they when their legislature passed this, they probably knew this was going to get slapped down. Well, and they're really good, uh, uh, Chuck and, and uh, A.G. Knudsen, they're really good at nebulous language that they then work to expand on over years. Oh, for sure. They chip away at every legal decision. Yeah. And they're very patient about it. Well, and, and we had a very similar case to this coming out coming out of Maryland. And I, I forget which circuit we, we, we filed a very similar brief because they tried to do this in, 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 a, in a county in, in Maryland. I mean, almost exactly the same thing. And people said, well, you know, why does Montana care about Maryland? Well, as these circuits go, so do the rest of the circuits. I mean, we're, right. we're, we're, we're going to create a situation here where if this is done in one circuit, another circuit will try it, and pretty soon this is the law of the land. I mean, this is this is why we're having to be so so aggressive on the Second Amendment stuff in, in front of the Ninth Circuit. I, I hope we don't have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court, but based on Bruin, we might. You probably will. How much has the Ninth Circuit moved back towards the center after Trump's appointees, or has it? Well, I mean, some of those appointees are fantastic. I mean, I, I, I happen to know one of them. He's a, he's a former solicitor general from from montana justice van dyke uh the problem is there's they're just so outnumbered i mean the the ninth is still just so crazy to the left yeah there are a handful of of better justices on the panels for sure but what what inevitably happens is whenever you you draw one of those good panels the ninth will suddenly find a reason to come in on bonk 
and right. yeah, and, and we'll we'll just review what those conservatives did, and and yeah, we don't like that, and we'll flip I, that over. I mean, that happens a, a lot. I think, didn't former Senator McCain wanted to break up the ninth? Arizona. Yeah, he did, and he was right about that. Yeah, he's totally right, absolutely. I mean, I, I I look at my state, I look at your state. I don't think we belong in that cra- no. that crazy no, no, circuit. No, no. no. Well, let me ask you a question. So we had this main sh- tragedy, this this evil act done by this guy, and there was just like gobs of warnings from the Army Reserve. They did two welfare checks on him. How do we prevent people like that from having? I mean, he just shouldn't have had a gun. For law-abiding citizens, we all agree this evil act could have been prevented. They had plenty of warning on yeah. this. Family, the Army Reserves, a former soldier said he could break. I the mean, sheriff's really office. Up. Yeah, sure. I mean, they all did it. So yeah. How do we prevent this? I mean, that's that's going to help a lot. How do we prevent? Well, this? I mean, we we have to enforce laws that are already on the books. I mean, we don't. This, this guy was clearly a prohibited person. This this is a person with a history of mental disease or defect diagnosed uh, there the warning signs were all there i mean there were multiple multiple reports i mean he literally kicked one of his friends out of the moving vehicle because the guy tried to talk him out of shooting up the 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 the, the military base that, that he was a member of this was reported to the sheriff's office the sheriff's office showed up knocked on the door oh he didn't answer oh well case closed i mean this this was a case of the 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 law enforcement system failing. I mean, that there needed to be follow up here, and this guy. I mean, the, but it the, seems. That, but that seems that failure seems to happen a lot. When you ever you go look at these mass shootings, has there been one? There's not been. There's been no warnings. No, I mean, for instance, the Nashville, the three pages of the Nashville shooter manifesto that just came out. Yeah, how about she, that stuff? Wow. Yeah, I mean, she she references that there was some sort of contact, probably in 2021. Yeah with law enforcement or the FBI or something. We don't know exactly all the details, but she references that she could have been caught at that time. Right. I, I think Republicans, those who support the Second Amendment, are going to have to allow law enforcement to just say, if there are these triggers, we're bringing them in, period. And we're going well, to but, understand but, that but process. But as, as, as the AG says, it's really just a matter of enforcing laws we already it's, have. That, that's exactly right. It's, it's already illegal to be a mentally de- de- defected person and have a firearm. The question is, how do we get that diagnosis done and how do we make sure that's enforced? And, and I mean, I, I've had cases of this just in my own private practice where someone that clearly has a mental disease or defect is still able to walk in and purchase a firearm like that. There, there's there's obviously a gap here, I think, in law enforcement, but whether it's from law enforcement to the ATF and, and, and the NIC system or, or I, you know. However, that gets communicated, and, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, so sometimes the communication between the administrations, you know, from a state level to the federal level does not work really well. Um, that That's a real, real problem, and I think you're right. As Republicans, we have to won't be in favor of enforcing that. Well, and I think we need to be leaders on this and be very proactive and tell people what's in the books and what's being missed. I don't think people understand. I just think they yeah. think we keep adding X, Y, Z. It's yeah. going to solve the problem. All these problems would have been solved. Nine out of ten of these would have been solved if law enforcement had done their job. These people have come in, and I don't care if they had to have a psychological check or whatever. It, you would not have had these tragedies. Yeah. A, lo- yeah. a lot of this tracks back to the FBI, which maintains the database. Is it time for Congress to hold hearings on where did you guys miss all these signals? It is. It is time. As a matter of fact, maybe what you do is skip Congress. Maybe the AGs do a tour <laughs> around the country and say, here are these 10 shootings. Nine could have been prevented. How are these missed? ATF has got a lot of problems. I mean, the, they've always had the, a lot of problems. The, the NIC system with an FBI has got a lot of problems. I mean, the, 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 the problem right now we've got is that those agencies aren't talking to me. I mean, they, they, especially the, the federal DOJ. I mean, they, they detest me. They do not like me. Now, I've had some communication with ATF that the regional director on the western side of the U.S. We've, we've, we've had some things happen in Montana, and he's actually traveled up and sat down. To, to his credit, Knowing he was coming into probably an unfriendly situation, he came into my office and sat down to talk with me. But they don't communicate with us, the, the the states, especially the red states. They don't talk to us. So, I mean, that there is a huge breakdown here. You were, uh, let's see, were you in Trump's last, you were elected in 2018? Uh, in, in 20. In 20. Yep. Okay, so you missed the Trump years. Yeah. I'm interested if there have been the, if it's just them being just obstinate or that's an administration thing well i mean i certainly saw it in my time in the state legislature but before this several years back i was a state speaker of the house and i can tell i mean i i I started that serving while barack obama was was the president zero communication out of washington dc to our state legislature zero and and i just assumed that was normal because i was a freshman legislator i didn't know why would you know 
And then I transitioned in my last term, we had President Trump. And all of a sudden, I'm getting phone calls from the White House, from from the Office of, of Intergovernmental Relations. I, I didn't know there was such a thing. I didn't know there, <laughs> that we could have intergovernmental relations from, from the federal government to the state legislature. And it was great. You know, we were able to, to discuss policy and talk about things that we had you know, mutually could work on together. That did not happen at all before. I, I, it's not happening now. That's just unacceptable. It makes no sense. I mean, it was such a it, it was such an aha moment for me to get a phone call from from the, the president's office, and it was, "Hi, I'm so and so. I'm I, this is my job: outreach to state legislatures. What what do you need? How can we help you? What what are you working on?" Well, well, especially since not every issue you're working on is adversarial to the administration, right? Right. Uh, well, and Democrats well, like to talk. It seems like it is anymore, uh, yeah, especially yeah. in well, Montana. Democrats like to talk in the press all the time about finding common ground. Oh, they they want to no present desire. themselves no yeah. in that light. Yeah. But what you're saying totally refutes that. I mean, just totally refutes it. The The only communication I have with the federal government is I, I, I do have a relationship with our U.S. attorney in Montana, and that's just because I, I went to law school with the guy. You know, he's a he's a Biden appointee. He's he's a John Tester could confirm me, but we're like we're we're we get along. Oh, you know him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, just it's a, it's a small state. We know each other. Are you a better student than him? You can be honest here. You know, he was a couple years ahead of me. I, I really couldn't <laughs> tell you. We're both in the legislature. I'll, I'll I'll say that. So that brings up a point. So, what do you think we need to do that we can work better together? Look, we have our differences, but there are things that we can do to work together. We are we had a former ambassador Carla Sands on before you. And we were discussing John Fetterman, who none of us in this room agrees with on anything, probably disagree with him 95% of the things, but he has been a stalwart on this Israel. He has. He's been really good. And we just, Sam and I were talking to her and she agreed, like, look, when our opponents do something well, they need to be praised and given an attaboy. I don't think it happens enough because there are things we can work on together, like, um, and they're probably not a lot of legal. I mean, I think you're, I think you're in the one field that there's not much give and take in a lot of things, but... You know, if you're talking about budget or infrastructure, yeah, look, there's some give and take here to get things done, right? I mean, border security, public safety, fentanyl. I mean, there there are some things that we should be aligned that on. That affect and, everybody. And we're just not. So you're focusing on the southern border. Is there a problem in the northern border? Are we having things, are drugs and fentanyl coming through the northern border? Because Canada has a loosey-goosey immigration system. I, I'm not saying it, it doesn't happen, but it is such a small percentage that for, for the sake of our conversation and for the sake of what's going on in our country, no. That's, we, because, that's because they're afraid of the Dutton family. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so cold up there. But no, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we do track. I mean, we've got almost 700 miles of, of northern border right. in Montana, and we we, we we track that very carefully. I've got good relations with the sector chief up there with Customs and Border Patrol. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But it's a tough. It's but a tough. It's, a, it's, it's such a small number. When you start talking about the human trafficking and especially the, the drugs, the, the drugs are all coming from the southern border because it's so easy to get across. So I'm sure you've talked to a AG who's a Democrat. What do they not understand about the southern border problem? Well, I mean, what what is their view on this? Why can't they see this is a problem? We have one minute I, left. <laughs> I I really can't tell you because I mean this this is just one of those blind spots they have. I I, I think it's so in, in, ingrained into their base and in, in, into it's it's such a hot issue for them that they don't want to publicly have an intelligent conversation about. It. I mean, they every law enforcement officer in this country knows where all the fentanyl is coming from. And it's all coming from that southern border because it's wide open. It's like every mom who says their oldest son's just brilliant. What If, if you know offhand, what is the price of a fentanyl pill in Montana? Well, right So in Montana, it, it, it depends. So down here, a fentanyl pill is probably worth a dollar. 25 cents. Okay, well, you, yeah. you know better than me. But up in Montana, depending on where you are, 50 to 100 per pill. And you wonder why the trafficking absolutely such a strong incentive, oh, and why yeah, we have to yeah. cut it at the source. Yeah. They they want to be in Montana. That's why. Yeah, absolutely. Attorney General Austin Knutson of Montana, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you back, and love having you in the studio. Happy here. to do it. Yeah, this worked out great. Uh, and anytime in the future, if there's some issue, please let us know because we we want to be able to inform our listeners about what's going on in all, all around this country. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Breaking Battlegrounds will be back on the air next week, but make sure you tune in for the podcast segment. You can go to breakingbattlegrounds.vote, all your favorite podcast channels. We're on there. Make sure you download, subscribe, tune in again next week. We'll see you then. The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. 
If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. All right, welcome to the podcast segment of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Up next for us today, Vincent Vernuccio, president and co-founder of the Institute for the American Worker. Uh, he has over 15 years of expertise in labor and law policy. And we asked him on today specifically, Chuck, to talk about an article he recently published in the New York Post called Union's Deceptive Salting Loophole Leaves a Bad Taste. Vinny, welcome to the program. Let's, let's start out by telling what is salting? <laughs> hey, Chuck, it's great to be on again with you, and thanks again for having me on. Um, so salting is this uh, really kind of deceptive tactic. You have union organizers, many of which are getting paid by the union, go get a job. Don't tell the employer the sole reason they're taking the job is to organize the company. Then they get the job. They rabble-rouse on the work site. They instigate their fellow employees. They try to organize the employer, sowing discord at the workplace. And, you know, the whole reason is to try to bring a union in. And, uh, like I said, that union that they're getting paid by, but not telling anybody that they're getting paid by. And also, so these people show up. Let's say you have a, a nice, happy work environment. All your employees are doing well. Um these people show up, part of their, their opening mission is to try to create rancor and discord in your employee base. Like, that's step one, right? That's step one. You know, there's even, you know, there, we've even heard examples from um, when they're doing trainings on this of how to win over the employer. You know, they said, do thankless tasks, scrub toilets, volunteer. So the whole point is to put the employer at ease, weasel their way in, and then, yeah, get employees. And, you know, we've all had, you know, we've all known, uh, you know, fellow employees, that, you know, the, uh, the whole toxic employee that creates rancor in the work environment. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. In many cases, they're not telling their fellow employees that they're actually working for the union and saying, hey, now that, you know, I've gotten you all angry at the employer, here's the solution. It just so happens it's the union they're working for. That's like false advertising. Is there some law that should be passed in various states to prevent this? Well, it would probably be at a federal level. Um, Representative Allen, Rick Allen, uh, has the Truth in Employment Act, which would allow employers to at least ask, hey, by the way, are you taking this job for any other reason besides you want to work for me? Uh, so you know, that's one option. You know, the NLRB, or excuse me, the Department of Labor could probably look into it. Obviously, under this administration, they're not going to do that. But here's the rub. If you have an employer going out, hiring a consultant, having that consultant talk to their own employees and say, hey, you know, union may not be the best thing to come in and it might not be the best thing for our workplace, um, that those consultants actually have to be reported to the Department of Labor. However, if you flip that, you have a union paying someone to talk to their to talk to employees, to try to get those employees to unionize, they don't. So there's a loophole. You know, what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. And if employer consultants have to file these forms with the Department of Labor, so should union salts. Don't you think we should have some states try to pass this, though, and let the administration just challenge it and take it to court? <laughs> Uh, you, know, I, you know, it would be really interesting. Uh, unfortunately, there's, there may be some preemption issues because uh, you know, the law on unionization for the private sector, for the most part, you know, with the exception of right to work and a couple other things, is pretty clear that you know all that runs under the purview. But they're lying. But they're lying on their application. What they're there for? I mean, most jobs you'd be fired for lying about something on your resume or not disclosing it. That, that's right. Uh, you know, right now, that is. Part of what uh, Representative Allen's bill is trying to do is simply say, "Hey, you could ask this question, and um, you know it is uh, you know it is an offense if the worker lies or the union organizer lies about why they're really taking the job." 
this really, to me, this whole idea of salting sort of degrades the principle of unionization, I mean, which, which is based on the workers in a particular industry or for a particular company coming together of their own self-interest, right. which is essentially a free market force at that point versus having it imposed where someone comes in to agitate this from the outside. It sort of seems like it really throws out the the principles, the 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 moral principles behind unionizing. That's right, and I mean this really is you know a key example of astroturfing, and you're seeing that with most of the union organizing drives these days. Um, you, know, you know, gone are the days of you know it's uh, organic from the employees on the work site saying, "Hey, we're being mistreated." We need help. We need to band together. What you're seeing with salting and, you know, with a, a lot of these organizing efforts around the country is that it's actually unions going, ooh, wait, there's money there. Let's organize these employees so we can get dues. So, you know, fully supportive of, hey, if, if employees want to band together and they want to organize to negotiate with their employer, you know, that is very clear. That's, you know, why labor law was created, but unfortunately what we're seeing today is it's not starting at the employee level, it's starting at the union level, and you're seeing it with this salting where the unions are targeting employees and saying, okay, you know, who can we organize? Well, and the American public's against the salting. I mean, you put some polling number in your New York Post piece, it found that 75% of Americans agree that if employers need to disclose their labor consultants, Unions should disclose all of their organizers, including SALTs. Some 59% want unionization elections with hidden SALTs to be thrown out as unfair. And you have 62% want workplaces to be able to ask applicants if they're union organizers, something that's banned under federal law. So clearly the public's on the side of this. But this is, this is one of those small items that it seems like f- those who support free enterprise should really be pushing through. That's right. You know, it, you know, the salting practice, it's disingenuous. Um, we went out, we did that polling over the summer, and you see the you know, incredible results there of Americans simply saying, yeah, this is, uh, this is not right. There should be other options. If employers have to file their consultants, unions should have to file their salts. Right. Um, if those salts lie, then employees should be entitled to a fresh election. And then like the you know, Allen bill that we were just talking about, uh, employers should have that right to ask, hey, are you really coming to work just for me? Vinny, how much of this – so there's been a long-term decline in unionization in this country – this is one of the tactics they're using to try to turn that around. But I would argue that the the biggest reason for that long-term decline is that they take union dues, they use them for entirely political purposes on one side of the aisle. They're really not used to benefit the members that directly. In other words, it's not that great a deal to be a union member. And so it seems like they're having to turn to these sort of backhanded tactics to prop up their membership. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny that you, you know, you bring up some of the history there. That is something where, you know, we were talking to you know, a lot of Americans, and it's something that kept coming up with salting. You know, let's put the politics aside for a second. Is that it's an antiquated tactic. It's not something that's new. It's something that, you know, is, is decades old that the unions are doubling down on now. But most people that, you know, I've talked to on this, like, well, wait a minute, but, you know, it's not like the union needs to lie to get access to employees right? Um, or is going to have trouble getting access to those employees anymore. You know, now you have social media. You know, they can advertise on Facebook. They can geolocate. They can um, do a lot of ways of communicating with employees. They don't need this salting tactic. But now going back to your point about union membership declining, this is exactly why? It's because unions aren't innovating, they aren't modernizing, they're doubling down on these decades-old tactics. Their business model is mired in the industrial revolution, one-size-fits-all collective bargaining mentality. And the modern worker is just saying, you know, I don't think that's for me. Isn't this the same tactic 
that the New York Times and the Washington Post moan and groan about James O'Keefe and Project Veritas does, <laughs> that they put people inside as a job, unsuspecting, and they tape people? I mean, if you did this, if Republican operative went and placed somebody on a Democrat campaign and did this, can you imagine the howling and screaming for weeks on broadcast news, New York Times, L.A. Times, et cetera? It's the same, it's the same concept. Am I wrong here? Uh, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is, you know, they should be transparent. You know, if a union wants to organize workers, and once again, I'm emphasizing the union coming in and organizing those workers, they should be transparent of who they are. Um, and with salting, that's just not happening. In fact, the unions are even doing classes on <laughs> this is how you can win over employers and gain their trust so you can infiltrate and try to organize the work site. Unbelievable. Vinny Vernuccio, thank you so much for joining us today. How do folks stay in touch with you and your work before we wrap up here? Sure. Um, you can find this article. You can find the polling that we use to back up the article. Um, it's all on our website, Institute for the American Worker. It's I4AW.org. I4AW.org. And it's all there. Fantastic. Vinny, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back in the future. All right. Well, interesting guest today. Yeah, really interesting guest. And we covered a gamut of things. We did cover a gamut of things. You know, I really love these interviews when we have someone like the ambassador on who can talk about stuff that nobody's paying attention to and nobody's heard about. And wood pellets are green energy. And and we get this with Vinny Vernuccio. This isn't, you know, I mean, he has the piece in the post, but this isn't been turned into a big thing. Right. Um, and then you hear from A.G. Knudsen, who was is involved in some lawsuits. You're not going to hear much about from the mainstream media what's going on with those lawsuits. And we learned today 64,000 people in Europe died because of high energy prices. I I'm, had, stunned. I'm stunned at that number. My, my jaw is on the floor. It's incredible. Kylie's Corner. Yeah, we got some interesting things today. Well, for the first one we have is an update on the Brian Koberger case because I know you you love that case so much. I do love the case. That's an um, Idaho case. <laughs> oh, yeah, we yes. do love that. Yeah. We do yeah. Love yeah. That. So, yeah, for those that don't know, the Brian Koberger case is um, the gentleman who's being accused of – can I call him a gentleman? I shouldn't call him that. A dude. Man, we're we're going to call man, him a dude. Yeah, the dude who um, is suspect. accused of suspect. That's the best word. <laughs> That's what he is. That's a legal word. <laughs> <laughs> of um, murdering the four Idaho students – the four students at the University of Idaho. Anyways, so he filed a motion to get the entire case removed on the grounds that um, there was an error in grand jury instructions because they used a grand jury to indict him. Right. And so his defense is saying that um, there they were he was convicted on probable cause, putting this in air quotes, instead of beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, well, but 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 a grand jury does not convict. The right. grand jury. Correct. Uh, so, like, the yeah. Idaho state law says the grand jury has to just find and indict them based on the evidence that they're shown. It doesn't. There's no argument to it. It doesn't. It's usually a preponderance of evidence yeah. standard in front of the grand jury, not beyond a reasonable doubt. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so the prosecutor said, you know, while the language is vague, the Idaho Supreme Court has already ruled that this is good enough to stand up for it. Um, and the judge who is on this case, denied the motion, obviously, saying um, this is an issue you're going to have to bring to a higher court, a.k.a. the Supreme Court, which is, they've or, already done already that. ruled on it. Um, and he said, I appreciate the journey back in history, and I appreciate this <laughs> argument. Um, I think it's creative. He kept going on. And he goes, but I'm going to deny the argument. Has <laughs> there been anything in this case that you've seen that has made you change your opinion that maybe Brian didn't do it? No, and I've seen people's comments on it, like, I think he's innocent and all this. I just think he's really, because he also, his team filed two other motions, one to dismiss the case on a, um, a biased jury and then dismiss the case on lack of sufficient evidence slash withholding evidence. And I think they're really just trying to, because they denied the um, speedy right. trial. So they're just trying to push it off, trying to find anything to just drop the case because I do think that he is guilty. And, and they are seeking the death penalty, right? Yes, yeah. They've God come out in Idaho. July and said that God, they're God bless Idaho. seeking the, yeah. All right, what else, so, we, what else we got on Kylie's Corner here? You know, this one is not much of a story because we're not getting much out of it. However, I find it suspicious, so I want to bring it up and hear your guys' thoughts and on it. And you've gone down some rabbit holes on it. There's just, I've tried, I've tried. I'm really trying to find more information right, for you right, guys. Tell me, but tell me, tell me. on Monday of this week, four L.A. Sheriff Department deputies died by suicide in a 24-hour span. Four? Four. Wait, what? 
I know. Four L.A. Sheriff so four deputies, LA sheriff's deputies died by suicide in a week? In 24 hours, in the same day. So the first one was found at 9.30 a.m. Monday, and the last, the fourth one was found at 7.30 a.m. on Tuesday. Okay, so, what case did they have in common? Yeah. Because so, did they have one in common? That's like, I think, what people are trying to figure out. But one was retired, three were current officers. Um, and so it's just, that, that's all they've said is, we're treating these as individual cases and... End of story. We haven't, like, there's nothing out there that's more trying to figure out who these people are because they haven't released two of the names either. So we only know two names and two are not released. I, I don't, I mean, look, it is a profession that has an unfortunately high rate of suicide. The, the, stress, yeah. the stress is huge. Yes. Four and 24 hours it, is, that, that's unheard of. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm not sure that's even happened before. Yeah, so in 2020, there was 116 suicides across law enforcement across the country. In 2021, they increased 23% to 150. In 2022, 172 officers died by suicide. And then this year alone, so far, 83 law enforcement officers died by suicide. Nine coming from this department alone, being the LA Sheriff's Department. Okay. That's strange. So I find those numbers, like, that's a lot of officers that have died by suicide. However, the number that have come out of the same department seems... I think Suspicious. something's happening there. Yeah, that does not sound like that is a a that's a major statistical anomaly. I mean, you're way outside of any probability yeah. field. Wait, keep keep on this. I'm trying. I'm not, I'm tr- I, I was like, I, I need more. I don't but, trust this at all. Yeah. Also, I think we probably need to assign you to track the six journalists who were apparently embedded with Hamas on the morning of the seventh, because Israel announced that, yeah. today that they're going to be executed. They're 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 not going to be here. I saw the videos longer. on Twitter this morning. I think oh, there were a guy with a grenade in yeah. his hand. Yeah. yeah. Grief. So, did you know there's been 46 attacks on U.S. bases the last three weeks? I did know. Yep. Incredible. And our, our response was to bomb an empty warehouse in Syria. That's the Biden response. It's literally an empty warehouse. So let's talk about this for a minute. So um, a poll came out today that nearly half of Democrats disapprove of Biden's response to the Israel-Hamas war, um, which is amazing. Poll found 50 percent of Democrats approve of Biden, has navigated the conflict, while 46 disapprove. That 46 percent is rooting for Hamas. 100 percent. Um it's it's crazy. Nearly seven of ten Democrats approve of Biden's management of the conflict, but think the U.S. provides the right amount of support. Of those who disapprove, sixty-five percent say the U.S. is too supportive of Israel. We are really discovering the anti-Semitic nature of the progressive left, which has been there forever. It's and, been and, there and, forever. And the fact that the, pre- the you know, because the press is has hit it and, and blamed it on white supremacy, yeah, yeah, but we yeah, all know yeah, the yeah. truth that the, the vast majority of it. I said the other day, 65 percent of Democrats younger than 45 disapprove of Biden's handling. Of the you, you know what the difference between the left and the right on anti-Semitism is on the right? We have a couple of fringe anti-Semitics. They're nuts and nobody gives them any credence. We, we, all, we, we know what they are. Yeah. We call them out. We ostracize them. On the left are university professors and right. reporters of the New York Times. Yes. That's the difference. Didn't you have experience where you posted? Did you? Were you the one telling me that they had that they got scolded for being pro-Israel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have the text. Let me see if I can find them really quick. <laughs> Put me on the spot there. It yeah. wasn't me. It was a friend who sent. Well, it. Well, no, but like, your friend sent you. Yeah. yeah, and I remember you telling me that story. It's um, they really ha- look. These progressives are in universities. They are teaching this bigoted, racist ideology of theirs. It's it is really frightening what's happening in our universities right now. There was a really interesting piece this week um, um, in the in the London. I think it's the Telegraph, to be exact, the Telegraph, and they were talking about the report about just how Jewish students do not feel safe in England now, going to universities. Well, and and how can they? I mean, as bad as the vitriol has been here, the vitriol in many European countries against Jews has been far worse. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. I mean, if if, if you are a Jewish citizen of uh, the UK or mainland Europe right now and you are not trying to figure out how to relocate to Israel or, frankly, the U.S. still – I, I think you're crazy. I think you're leaving yourself in a very, very vulnerable position. Let's talk about the debate. Wait, I found the text. Oh, what, t- read okay. it to us, please. So this person messaged my friend and said, delete it now. And she goes, no. He goes, you seriously feel that way. And I remember vaguely the image. It must have, I think it was just the, 
flag, the Israel flag with like I support Israel like, or something. Israel yeah, tried. just a very yeah. basic image. There was no facts or anything on it, like just nothing like that. Just said I stand with them. Um, and he goes, "You seriously feel that way?" And she goes, "Feel what way?" And he goes, "You stand with Israel? Are you an effing terrorist? You support crimes against humanity? You support Jewish?" Question mark. Hmm. Just like a bunch of texts, like all in in order. Did she like, say yes? She's done. She was like, "I'm over. <laughs> I'm done responding." And then she did say he texted her like three or four more times, and she's just like, "I'm done." Like, did you block him? I hope. Hopefully, I'm just. That's. You know, this is a result of the deliberate miseducation of multiple generations now is what's i mean there's well, an it goes issue. it goes back to this tiktok thing we were talking yeah. about last yeah. week this yeah. is very much because they get their education from tiktok everything well but if the if the k-12 education they were getting if the college education was honest and 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 reasonable and factual they would be a balance to that what they're learning on tiktok but they're not getting that they're getting reinforcement and the press has not helped. Let's talk about one other thing the press is stupid about this week. Um, so, you know, um, Vivek went after <laughs> Nikki Haley's kid. And, you know, Nikki, Nikki's a tough old bird, right? I mean, she's, she's a tough gal. So they asked Ron DeSantis about it on NBC, and he just said, I think kids are out of bounds. I don't think that was an appropriate thing to do. So then NBC goes and tries to make a big deal of DeSantis going after Biden. So folks for you out there who are really – disinclined intellectually. Nikki Haley's daughter's in her 20s. She's not a public figure. Hunter Biden's a degenerate at 53 years old who has stole money, tax evaded, well, and also, sold his soul. Also, by all accounts, I mean, White House accounts and appearances, he is one of his father's closest advisors. advisors. He goes with them presidential trips. So, right. folks, there are two different paths here. One, so, you have a 20-something-year-old who's living her life. That's right. her decision, right? Um. Well, it's Hunter Biden is embarrassing. And the fact that that NBC News tries to lump them together makes them a failed institution. And this is why I never complained when the press uh, did pieces on Eric Trump or on Jared Kushner and Ivanka because they were directly involved in the activities, which is the Trump kid that isn't involved with any of the stuff I forget. Right. Right. But but that's the dividing Tiffany, line. Tiffany, Tiffany, Tiffany's not. Yeah, if you're not involved, if you're not part of this world, then you're off limits. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, great show this week. Thanks for setting it up, Kylie. Absolutely. Yes, All up on both these cases, but I want to know more about the sheriffs. That is a yeah. that is a strange one. Now, there are coincidences, but eyebrows. usually not. Not at that level. That is a lot of coincidence. Folks, thanks for joining us. Please share our program with your family and friends. You can find us at breakingbattlegrounds.vote or wherever you download your podcasts. Have a great weekend and week.